Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Podcast and soccer we trust. I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad alongside Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies and Mr. Hollywood Heath Pierce. And before we get to our always fun mailbag show answering your questions, I have to inform you that we have been nominated for the best podcast in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. So if you really, really, really like us, then please consider nominating us at podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. And then toggle down to the sports category and find in soccer we trust. It doesn't take long and it really helps us all earn that all-important street cred. As they say, the link is in the description and the QR code is in the corner on the YouTubes. All right, boys. Charlie, Keith, great to see you. First and foremost, we're not in our normal spots. Charlie's at his own personal airport, apparently. And Heath, Charlie mentioned it looks like you are in the bathtub. It looks like you're in a bathroom right now. That's a nice shower curtain you have. Heath, you go first, uh, dude. Thanks. Where are you right now? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually in Monterey, uh, California at a really uh, – if you've ever been here, obviously – like 1800s uh, is when people first started coming through. And there's still stuff that's uh, inspired or uh, stuck in the 1800s. So I've got this beautiful curtain behind me at the hotel I'm staying at. Uh, <laughs> not quite as nice as, as Charlie's Holiday Inn Express backdrop for the Continental <laughs> Breakfast look, but but uh, it's not bad, you know. It's it's not bad. And I appreciate you guys pointing it out just so we can get it out of the way. Actually, it's on this side. Uh, for those of you that are watching this, uh, this uh, bathtub shot that I'm going for. Yeah, Christopher's saying Heath broadcasting from the toilet in the front of the shower is pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, if, you got, if you're not enjoying this on YouTube and you're listening to it on podcast form, make sure you go over to the YouTube just to see the intro for a few minutes and, and check out our YouTube channel. Maybe hit like and subscribe. By the way, Jimmy, here. Jimmy. by the way, if yeah. I've chosen this as my backdrop, you can only imagine what the rest of this option is because I, I did a full spin uh, before setting up the shot and this is literally the best one. You so, said, let me, so. let me do the toilet. It's fine. Yeah, that's the toilet. It's the, it's, if it's the best shot I got, yeah. And, and Chuck, you're kind of on the precipice of maybe leaving us because you are at the airport, not actually at a Holiday yes. Express. What, where, what? Like, is this your own private room at the airport? Like, what? Yeah, this, I've never even seen this before. Yeah, we're we're it's a conference room in the airport, and uh, <laughs> we're off to Col- to Columbus. Uh, the Revs play the Crew, so um, we we will be leaving in the next 20, 30 minutes. I'm guessing. So right. we'll play it by ear. Right. Hey, okay. Hey, Jimmy, real quick, if you want to hear a, a quick flex uh, about Columbus, just to start the day, Columbus is one of the few airports when I played with Thierry Henry that he refused to stay the night in uh like uh the city so no matter what time the game was he always flew private back home after the game even if it was late night of columbus like he'd go to other places kansas city or whatever and stay the night but for some reason 
Columbus was the place that no matter what, he was flying out of at the same time in his little PJ, similar to Charlie. You, you never, uh, you never <laughs> asked why. You never asked like what's no, the specific I, I never reason. Asked, no, because I was too busy trying to get the invite for the flight back so you could get back on the same day. I was not, well, I, I made it quite a few times, uh, but but I, I will say, you know, when once you get the invite, wait, wait, you don't wait, ask wait. questions, Charlie. You just how, how many seats? How many seats were on the private plane? Like who who are you fighting with to get on and and. Like oh man, we- it's just it depends where we were flying with Thierry. We flew an Airbus one time with him to to London. That was like probably a forty seater, uh, where I had a bedroom and a shower and two living rooms, and that was ah, crazy. But like damn. generally, the smaller ones, like they were like your kind of two two in the front, a bench seat, and then a four seater in the back. So usually around like eight to ten seaters. So there like a- there was times that you know you, you get the bump from Juninho when he was shortly at the Red Bulls. Uh, you'd get a bump from Tim Cahill. Generally, me and Dax would get the invite if there was if there was space, or if he thought we played bad, we didn't get the invite. So, uh, <laughs> but Columbus, Columbus was the one that you, I distinctly remember, without fail, every single time he was not staying in Columbus. But there was like Kansas City, no problem. Um, but Columbus was like in and out. You know, what's funny is that my reaction is like, "Whoa, that's amazing!" And Charlie's like, "I already have like two of those points." It's, <laughs> that's, I, just like trying yeah. to get the details. Charlie, that's, Charlie's it's like, so I don't real. get it, guys. This is it's called logic, you know. You want to get in, you want to get out back to your family, you know. It's called traveling efficiently. Efficiently. All right, all right. So it's our special mailbag show. Let's get into some questions after our early flexes. And only me and Heath have flexed so far. So Charlie's got some catching up to do. This one's from Coach Scott Copy, who says Burhalter just recently mentioned that John Brooks needs to improve his fitness or how he fits into the US men's national team game model, specifically defending in a high line. Does his new club seal his fate with the U.S. Men's national U.S. Men's national team? Charlie, improving his mobility, I think, will be difficult. So tactical awareness seems key. Uh, what are your thoughts on Greg Berhalter's thoughts? And actually, I want to add this in. Jurgen Klinsmann came out and said he feels sad yeah. for John Brooks because he's a great character, good professional, proved his qualities over so many years. At the end of the day, though, as a national team coach, you have your own ideas and you want to make it fit your own way. So Jurgen says he understands Greg. And I'm, I'd be better understand, Greg, because I'm still sad that he left off Landon Donovan back in 2014, you bastard. So get us, get us back to John Brooks, though, Charlie. What are you saying <laughs> with regard to, uh, to find John a way, Brooks? Find and, a way back. And, find a way back, Charlie. Find a way back into the John Brooks. And, and yeah. is his next club that important? Or do, I actually think that Greg Berhalter has already made his decision on John Brooks. He, he has. I Jimmy mean, hates Ergen Klinsman. But yeah, go ahead, Charlie. Well, that's clear. Um, <laughs> he hates what, me, what, too. That's been documented. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I will say is, his mind has been made up. We know where he, what he thinks of John Brooks. That's not changing. John Brooks is not changing as a player at this stage in his career. That's just not happening. However, if he goes to the right club and, and plays really well, no, no matter what style that club is playing, if there are injuries or uncertainties, he will be in the mix. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. as far as right now, we know what, what, what Greg Berhalter thinks of him. He, he, He's not high on his ability to turn and run back and retreat if they are playing a high line. He doesn't. He just th- doesn't think he has those that ability to excel in the way that Greg wants to play. That coaches make up their mind about a player, and we all know we've been there. No matter what you do in training, no matter how you play in games, if a coach has made up their mind of how they see you, nothing's happening unless there's some injuries, something that's unforeseen that forces him to make that decision. So all John Brooks can, can do, which we we know and we say this time in and time again, time out, is you got to focus on yourself and play your best and make uh, decisions based on what's best for the rest of your career. 
you know what I think John hey, Brooks should do? He hold on, hold on. I think he should play number nine and score ten goals and get ten assists. And then you know what? We're gonna have to take him. He's just gonna be the big lug up top. The Brian McBride we always wanted and wanted to see once again. Uh Heath, what are you saying with regard to the John yeah. Brooks situation? I mean, that it was actually, you know, passing it back back to you on this, which was I, we've all seen John Brooks' weaknesses, right, in terms of playing a high line or the ability to just be isolated. He's, he, he struggles in that situation. And I think our national team style of play requires, at a minimum, they're not uh, the center backs we currently have aren't great at passing. They're not great at playing out in the way that John Brooks has. But they have that recovery speed. They have that ability, that athleticism to be able to put out fires and, and spend decent amounts of time in one-on-one duels where they're leaving themselves exposed, knowing that they can make up for that recovery. But, Jimmy, what I was – getting as you now as a coach and Jimmy you've done a lot of analyst work Charlie you as well sometimes you watch a game you watch a player and two three touches you can make up your mind right and I've I've Mm -hmm. tried to when I do game calls and things kind of constantly remind myself not to judge a player based on that because then I create this bias over time where it's like that player's not in good form you see him miss their first two passes you write them off for the game so you go okay that's going to be a low Mm -hmm. performance and you know how that is and as a coach it's really easy to create that bias over time not to say that he hasn't been properly evaluated because I agree that that John Anthony Brooks doesn't currently fit in the way that this national team has evolved into being. Had we gotten to the goals that we wanted to at a certain point where we play a certain style? Absolutely. But we never got to that point in our ability to play uh, and be a strength with the ball in our back line. So just curious for you, Jimmy, you know, in terms of that bias, you know, in that coaching world that you're, you're spending a lot of time in now, if you have to remind yourself or if you catch yourself going sometimes that you've judged a player based on what he did the day before versus today, uh, because maybe he has a bad pass or you kind of write him off on, on, on two, two moments or a few moments. No, no, that's a great question. And, and, and when I put my coaching hat on, you do have some themes that are reinforced. If that player doesn't maybe take the advice that you're giving him and, and applying it, it, it doesn't have to be applied right away. That's going to be immediately successful. That would be ideal, of course. But there's that element of, am I at least seeing him try to implement what I'm asking him to do? Because it's for not only for him better or better for him individually, but also collectively for the team. And so if he continues to almost be stubborn and not add what I'm saying into it, or, or it's like, I know better than you do, then you're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, if that's what's happening with John Brooks. I don't want to speculate too much, but I think it's clear to chart what Charlie was saying before that that Greg's made up his mind. And and as much as it Greg went on TV and 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 said that he wants to see how he's going to play, political, is, very, <laughs> very political. political. I think it was just him trying to okay, I'm going to answer this question without really answering it. That's and, a really safe way to respond. It still puts a little bit of the onus on the player, which we mm-hmm. all know. I don't think it really matters how he plays, Charlie. No, and I would also say for people that are saying John Brooks, we need John Brooks, John Brooks. Think about how the U.S. plays with their outside backs. He's the left center back. Anthony Robinson is always bombing forward, always. Yeah, he'll be isolated. John Brooks is going to have to get out to the touchline, to the sideline. We've seen what happens when he gets out to the sideline. One, he's not quick enough to do it. And two, once he does get there, he gets torched. Mm-hmm. And also, yes, he's good yeah. just uh, distributing uh, the, with his distribution when given time. Mm-hmm. But under the press, which I think will happen uh, a bunch of times, especially against England, don't know so much about Wales and, and Iran, but I'm sure at times we're all expecting Iran to just sit back and be super methodical. And, and mm-hmm. I bet you they switch it up at times. I bet mm-hmm. you they will bomb forward and, th- and press because you got to be predictable sometimes. Well, that and also if you recognize a vulnerability in a team and if John Brooks mm-hmm. has a vulnerability that other teams can exploit – you're obviously at your point, Charlie. You're going to try 
to make that happen. All right, a related question in the center back situation from Connor No Soccer. And if that's his username here on YouTube, we should probably be asking him the questions. He says, uh, Heath, if John Brooks is not selected to the final World Cup roster, who would you like to see pair with Walker Zimmerman in the back? But I think I think it's for me, I'll just go first. Yet to be determined because if Chris Richards is going to Crystal Palace and that's all done, is he going to get legitimate minutes? They had a center back pairing that's coming back this particular season. Uh, Aaron Long still tr- trying to get, I think, back up to his his peak form after a, a long-term injury with the Achilles. Uh, Mark McKenzie's still in the equation. I mean, there's there's we have um, a CCV. Carter Vickers is another guy that that's, I think, on the fringes and still trying to punch his way into the team. Is there one guy that maybe stands out? Or are you kind of on the, I want to wait for the next five months and see who's the sharpest going into the World Cup? I mean... Uh- it's weirdly Chris Richards has been the talk of everyone, right? Being that pairing. And I personally am not sold on Chris Richards yet, just because outside of his performances in the Bundesliga, which I think have been really strong at time at times, I haven't seen him really say, this is my spot on the national team. I've seen him be solid, but I've seen a whole group of center backs be solid when, when, when called upon in different circumstances. And so I would love for it to be him. That's going to require him to play games at Crystal Palace. If he doesn't play at Crystal Palace, I think he's a fringe selection for the World Cup if he goes mm-hmm. the next six months without any games. And that means it's probably going back to uh, an Aaron Long, which feels like a little bit of a, I don't want to say a problem because I, I I do feel comfortable with the two of them. But when you get to the World Cup and you're throwing different things and you're navigating a group stage, I would be shocked if you went three games with the same two starting back pair based on circumstances and what you're trying to build or a style of play that you're trying to implement based on the opponent you're playing to navigate a group stage to get out of it that I, I worry a little bit. You know, Mark McKenzie's obviously a chance to get back into his team this year. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Eric Palmer-Brown. But at this point, it, it, I guess it's just, I guess it's Aaron Long until I see otherwise um, from 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 somebody else. I don't know. Charlie, what's your your take on this? Is there anybody that, that you think that um, could be different than that? No. I mean, outside of, of the pool right now, I don't see a center back emerging as, as a starter. Uh, and Walker Zimmerman, his, I think his form has dipped quite a bit, actually, from from his peak uh, kind of mid mid to, to late um, World Cup qualifying stages. I think he his, his, his form has dipped within Major League Soccer. So I know he's our best center back right now, considering – He's playing. He's been playing consistently, but he's been he hasn't been playing as well as he was, you know, four or five months ago. So ultimately, I still feel like every position's up for grab in the next five five months. I, I know Zimmerman is is leading uh, leading the candidacy right now for a starting position, but I'm not convinced convinced with with the set back four. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, in terms of the center back. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think we have to wait and. I'm still high on on the the potential of a Mark McKenzie because I saw what he could do in Major League Soccer and just the physical abilities that are are you can't you can't train. He has all of those. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the timing and the tactics and and we saw in the Nations League final against Mexico those nerves. Like he he gave he gave away some bad balls. He gave up the first goal to Tecatito. Those are those moments that you grow from, you learn from, and hopefully in this in these next five months with his club in Belgium, he can take that step forward because I, I still believe in, in his ability and that he could potentially be one of those guys by the end of it. But it, it's um, – He has been, by the it's way. Our, it's uh, our weakest – It's a, I'd say it's our weakest 
that and our striker position, those are, those are our two weaknesses. Yeah, right just now. two very important parts of the field. Go ahead, yeah, Heath. fine. Jimmy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think um, Mark McKenzie's been getting some looks at, at captain so far in the preseason. So they're trying to move on John Lukumi out of the club uh, and move him on. There were some links with, I don't remember who the clubs were. So hopefully that means he's next in line to really establish himself with some of the nods coming from the coach who actually has a background in working with younger players. Jimmy, for you, on that, and I don't want us to like belabor this point, but I worry if it's not Walker Zimmerman, like I worry about another two person pairing with the lack of international experience they'll have going into a World Cup if it's not him. Even if his form's dipping, I still like, okay, if you take him out and you say, you know, um, Cameron Carter Vickers and, and um, Chris Richards, Richards or, or Chris yeah. Richards, and, and yeah, I, I mean, that makes me pretty nervous in a World Cup. I mean, they've got a ton of potential. I like the upside of where they can be, but they're all still, you know, uh, Cameron Carter Vickers is a little older, but like still green to me at the yeah yeah everything makes you nervous at this point (laughs) well a little bit but i i I guess where i would jump in (laughs) and say that there's i think what i've liked from cameron carter vickers and where what we saw with him with celtic last season is that there's more of a steadiness to his game right he's gonna give you something you can count on and and depend on every single time you roll him out he didn't necessarily have that maybe he wasn't getting the opportunities got loaned out a lot never really felt at home so so there's probably a whole bunch of elements and we got to get him on the show to talk about it at some point but I think Walker Zimmerman provides that. He's 28, going to be 29, I think, by the time the World Cup starts. He knows this is his last time to probably play in a World Cup. He probably won't be a part of the 26 team. And I think that urgency, and, and I don't say desperation, but this is it. And, and you need to be good. This is going to be your one and only chance. I was in that same spot and, and tried to make the most of it, knowing that that was probably going to be the case. And so I see a lot of similarities in his kind of timeline as it was for mine. And as much as I worried about my club form, as long as you showed up and played well for the national team, I knew that I'm just, I guess I'm just not worried about Walker is kind of how I'm seeing it. Despite, I agree with you that he's had a little bit of a dip in form. And I think it's weird that it coincides with him signing that big four year, $10 million deal. Anytime we see players make that type of big money, even, you know, it can be Pierre Emerick, Obama Yang with Arsenal, whatever. There's always something like, it's like the expectations of everybody or from from everybody to you changes, even though you're just going out there and doing the same exact thing you were doing before. But now everybody almost yeah, expects but you more. Also, but you also take a little bit of a a, a, a breath out, you know, when you yeah. sort of feel like you've yeah, you reached re- a you, milestone, you, and then you've got to reset your expectations, right? I think that's natural right. of any. It's like kind of natural to but, sort of feel like you've 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 arrived, or or that finally like the chip on your shoulder has been proven, right? Well, so here's one thing that was what was really interesting. It, it's not like for like, but I think there's some similarities to it with regard with mentality. So I used to write for Sports Illustrated when I was uh, a player. And then we made this big shift to ESPN. And, and I got paid a little bit. And so the, my agent at the time, I'm going to keep him nameless. But the people that were underneath him said, oh, now that you've got this and we're getting paid, you got to be funnier. And I was like, what the f- does that? What does that even mean? Be funnier? Like, I'm just going to be me, you know? And it just felt even in that thing where i'm making like 75 dollars an article i felt this immense say pressure. his name so, I'm <laughs> richard motskin okay and so i'm gonna and, and so i i like how do you be how do you be funny you gotta be like, funnier Honestly, be funny. You're really, you're i was gonna say out, the same so. thing but like well yeah. okay you know what I'm, I'm, now i'm sad i shared that story let's pivot no, into no, uh, the I wish next question a little bit funnier though Seriously. No, well, yeah. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Is this okay. does this story end funny or not? I mean, it's just skin. <laughs> no, there is no end story. Look, All I'm saying is so that, that irritated I could, right now. That was that yeah, was just be funny, Jimmy. Why getting, are you getting wound up? <laughs> I went from being not paid at all to making seventy five dollars, and the pressure was be funnier. And I couldn't imagine 
you know, making 300K a year to jumping to 2.5 million a year and then what the expectations are there. Anyway, so here's, here's a, a question from Dr. Lee Hancock, who I think Heath knows. I don't know if you know him, Charlie. Oh. Noted sports psychologist and friend of the stars, as he, as he calls himself. He said, say there was a, a, a competition, a 2v2 competition with us three and, and Dr. Lee Hancock. Who should be his teammate? Based on, this is what he says, our play, our ability, but also our mental fortitude and why. Who do you think would be his best pairing? And, and do you think me and him, I've seen him play, he's pretty solid, would beat, would beat the other two? Would he, Lee, or Heath, you know him, so I'll let you go first. Who, who do you think would be his best partner in 2v2? Ah, man, because you can't you can't hide playing. in two v two. You you got to play both ways yeah. in two v two. You and, cannot and, hide. We're playing small goals, hide. or we'll be playing we playing with small the, goals. Like, yeah, yeah, small, small goals? goals. Okay, small goals. Well, I guess you kind of you kind of can't hide. You just sit somebody back as a goalie. Uh, <laughs> that's that's why I, <laughs> you can put him there, and then you got to yeah. and you got to do you got to do a I lot mean, of the I gotta, work. I got I got I got to I'm just gonna pick me. You know, like Charlie's not going. Yeah. You know, up up and back on the pitch. You know, I I I think he needs. Uh, you know, Jimmy's gonna be yelling at you know Doctor Lee Hancock. Doctor Lee Hancock's gonna be looking at him going, "I'm a doctor. Get off my back." You know, you like know. you know. Uh, I I I, I Jimmy, I'm the, I'm the happy medium between you guys, and so I'm I'm picking myself. You know. Okay, Charlie, who are you going with? Um, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, do I have I met him before? No, I don't know if you've met him or not. Listen, no. listen, Charlie, I'm going to answer it for you. Yeah. I, I'm going to – whoa, crap. I'm going to say he should go with Heath Pierce. That way me and Charlie are on the same team, and we're going to kick your guys' ass, okay? That's the way it's going to go. All right, that's – I just wanted to answer that question. That would be awesome, me and Charlie versus Heath and Dr. Lee. We would. Jimmy just got himself right. a year uh, full of free therapy for throwing out uh, the shout-out <laughs> on the show. So, you know. It's yeah. right, in another way because that seventy five bucks for being funny didn't work out. Oh, yeah, now man. now he can now he can get to the root of the problem of why he's not. Funny. Yeah, Jimmy, go deeper. You got to go deeper. No, no, <laughs> I need to be funnier. All right, this one is from Not Bread Alone twenty one on Twitter. Thank you for the follow as well, ISWT Pod. If you're not following us, please do. Uh, Charlie, I come to you first on this. Would it be so bad if guys like Pulisic, McKenney, or Dest are third or fourth on the club depth chart? It saves them from overuse and risk of injury ahead of a world cup, but they can't really keep their form in the same type of way. What are your thoughts on this question? No, you, you, <laughs> you want your players playing. You, you want them. I, I appreciate them taking the time to ask that question, but you want your players playing at the end of the day, this is five months and you want to be as sharp as you can be, as confident as you can be. And no one's going to be happy, sharp or confident, if they're the third, fourth option. Because by the time you get into World Cup camp, it goes from zero to a thousand. Mm -hmm. And by the time the matches start, you're going to be gasping for air after 10 minutes because you don't you haven't built yourself up for this type of competition. And forget about the the weather. I mean, it's going to be super hot. These these guys are going to be looking for water breaks, any type of break that you can get. And while players who haven't been playing for five months, and that's why it's so important to put yourself in the best club situation heading up to, to the World Cup so that you have sharpness, that you have form and fitness, mm -hmm. and the confidence part is, is massive. If you're balling out with your club, then that's going to translate well with the national team. So um, I, I really hope that we're at a point come World Cup camp that all of our players, even the ones who aren't starting – the role players are playing consistently with their club because we know we, we're going to have to depend on them at some point. 
Okay, here's another question then, kind of in the same vein. I'll throw this one to you, Heath, from Addy Joseph, our friend at CBS. Is there a case for Pulisic to start over Raheem Sterling, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz? And if not, should he accept a backup slash rotation role or try to leave? What do you what do you say to that? And then I'll I'll follow up with my thoughts. Yeah, I think this is that's sort of the answer to the question. It's like we just saw Pulisic as the number three uh, winger at at Chelsea, and no one was happy about it. Christian Pulisic's not happy about it. And even though he's still playing 30, 40 games in a year, uh, which, you know, 10 years ago we would have been ecstatic about and built a statue of him somewhere around the U.S., it, it's, it's not what we want or need for our young crop of players. And he's a player still mm-hmm. very much in his development with still a long ways to go before reaching – uh, his max. And so I think he he shouldn't settle into that. Now, being a rotational player, uh, an actual rotational player, as opposed to an, a backup, I think is a subtle difference. And so if that's the case, he's going to get plenty of games. I think he'll be in great form going into a World Cup. But that's a lot harder because of the way Chelsea built that that attacking lineup. And now that you add Sterling to that, it's, it's becoming much more complicated uh, to getting him onto the field. So I think he should try to leave. Whether he can or not is, is, is to be determined. But uh, pre- previous to that, I think he would have been fine. But for other players, it's not as easy. It wasn't a bunch of young players all around the same age being signed at a club like Chelsea has uh, and rotating them because of lack of consistency, because of form, because of whatever. Um, you know, that's not going to be the same for a Tyler Adams. That's not going to be the same for Weston McKinney in some of these situations. You're going to find, could, you know, could, you might rotate occasionally, but yeah. Could, could I add something? Because I'm, I'm seeing Christopher Walken, who is a regular here, um, and, and I appreciate you tuning in all the time. He said, um, form is, is overrated. Uh, it's a hot take. And that, um, you know, given some of the players that we have, regardless if they're playing or not, they will start. And to a point, yes, Christian Pulisic is going to be starting for us regardless if he's option one, option two, option three, option four at Chelsea. He will be playing. And it's the same thing as Landon Donovan in his prime, the same thing as Clint Dempsey mm-hmm. in his prime. They will be playing for the for the U.S. men's national team and starting. Wes McKinney also in that bucket. But does that mean they're going to be good? Are they going to be in the best possible form and position and fitness to, to help this team win? No, not at all. I will say... Outside of, let's say, the big five players in this team, if they're not playing, they will not start. That that's that's the, the truth of it. If right. they aren't informed, if they're not playing, they will not they will not play. So, uh, I think to a certain extent, guys are going to get uh, you know I guess the leniency with Greg, Greg with Greg Berhalter. So what what I would want us to explore a little bit. I wanted your guys' thoughts and anybody else that's listening watching with regard to Pulisic. I wonder at this point in the transfer window where teams are starting to settle in to their identities, you know, coaches are working on team shape, how they want to move as a group, all that type of stuff. That's what preseason is for. Very important component of it. If Christian Witten moves somewhere else, whether it's within England, which I don't see happening with Chelsea, or, or maybe he goes to Spain, Italy, wherever he wants to go. Would it benefit him at this point? I feel like he just needs to stick it out at Chelsea. He, he knows what's expected out of him. He's going to fight for minutes. And that alone, I think, will keep him at, at relatively sharp. Whether we like it or not, we, all, we want him to start and be the guy. It's probably not going to happen under Tuchel. That's already been proven. But if he left now and had to adopt a new system and, and, and have to ch- – I don't know. I just don't know if that's in his benefit leading into a World Cup. Now, leading into – like, say he does, does stays at Chelsea. January transfer window, after the World Cup, dude, you're like, I'm out. I don't care if an American owns the team now. I don't give a shit about any of that. Like, I just, I got to get out of here. I can't play for Tuchel anymore. But I think he's got to be a good soldier leading up to that because I just don't know if leaving is going to solve that problem and actually make him any better. It, it, 
the grass might feel greener in this particular situation with him, but I actually think he should stay. Uh, Heath, what, what do you think about, like, as we kind of extrapolate what that would mean if he did leave? Yeah, it's tough There's because circumstantially there's only so many clubs that can pay the wage, that can pay the transfer, that can do the things. Maybe there's a loan deal somewhere out there for him, but we know Christian Pulisic needs to settle in. Uh, he needs to have a little bit of some sort of motivation, and I feel like he, he was motivated by being a teenager, breaking into a first team at Dortmund, and now he's in a situation where there's just a cycle of players that are high level and have hasn't earned the trust or respect that we thought he had gotten under Tuchel at, at Dortmund. Uh, but it is, like you said, Jimmy, it's a tough situation to leave or transition from in the short window that he's going to have to find his form in a new place, in a new team, in a new system, that maybe it is better to stay for the short term. Um, but I'd still be exploring those options for sure at this point. And if you're a Christian Pulisic, you don't really care that that an American owns the club. It's not really going to get you anything. The club but might I, but I, out of that. But you, well, no, but I think that they – I think that's a handcuff in some ways because – yeah, they don't want to lose their most prized American asset. Charlie, what do you what do you say? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, you have an American owner. You're not you're not just letting your best American talent go. And, and Captain America on top of that. Also, he has proven that at times he's looked like the best attacking player Chelsea have. So you still have hope and, and faith that he will get there. The problem is they brought in Raheem Sterling. They have Mason Mount. He's not playing right, over those right. two. That that's just right. they're England internationals. You're at Chelsea. You're not playing over them. So you have to hope that you get a good run of form. You're coming in as a substitute. There's rotation and you you perform. And Thomas Tuchel goes, okay, yes, you know Christian ha- has finally gotten over the hump. He stays injury free, but ultimately it's a very difficult place to break in and and pl- be the the number one starter day in and day out. So I think for for Christian, it's control what you can control. And if you stay injury-free and you're focused, you're, you're going to shine. We all know. We've seen him shine, and we just hope that the next five months he plays with that chip on his shoulder, which he usually does, and he, and he just takes over at Chelsea and, and performs. And, you know, coming into the World Cup, he's hot. He's confident. And then, and then he holds the power. Right. That's exactly right. And also what I've liked about Christian's game, even over the last four or five months, is he seems to have emerged as more of a leader. It felt like we were rushing to give him the, the armband the captain's armband before he was ready for it. And it looked like he seems to be a little bit more ready for it, which is exciting as well when he takes on that type of responsibility, which when you wear the captain's armband, you have to think about more than yourself. And I think that's an important component as you become a leader. All right, we're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust. When we come back, we're going to continue to answer your questions, so keep them coming. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce. And in case you're not watching on YouTube, we have to let you know, if you're listening to this in podcast form, 
that you just missed a promo for the incredible Brianna Scurry documentary called The Only. It's streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. It is so good and so important, I think, for the development of the game in this country and how much influence she had and how much impact she had, especially for our, our stud female players that definitely look back at the 99ers and in, 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 in God, just, just how important they were. They're like, they should all be on Mount Rushmore of, of women's soccer. And not only that, but how it trickled and, and made an impact on the men's side as well. I never want to uh, lessen that. I think their impact uh, just helped grow the game overall. And so uh, an absolute legend. Make sure you stream that now on Paramount Plus. It's called The Only. Also, we are uh, got nominated for a Best Podcast and the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Vote for ISWT at podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and then toggle down to the Best Podcast category. Do sports, pick us, and then we will be very happy. All right, let's get back into the questions. I know Charlie's got to catch a private flight somewhere because that's what he does on the regular if he's not on his yacht, of course, Heath is pinching one he must off. Be, he must be a guest on the private flight, Jimmy, because <laughs> when you fly private, you fly when you want to fly, you know. So he, I don't, I, you know, I'm wondering where he falls into the tier between behind uh, Josie, Robert Kraft, and a few others, you know. Nice. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of questions I have about Charlie, but we'll save that for another mailbag episode. Let's go to another question from one of our friends at CBS, Chuck Booth, who says, "If you're given the ability to change." Or add one rule in the beautiful game. What would it be and why? Charlie, because this is another Chuck, I'll let you go first. Got anything? No? That's a uh, tough one, right? It, it is a tough one. Um, Charlie would want the whole world to get MLS assists, the hockey assists. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so uh, Heath, I don't know if you have anything. I, I don't know if this rule's in, in, in effect yet. But I, I do, I, if you can't score with a part of your body, like your arm or your hand, then I don't think that should be ruled offside if it's if it's in a, you know, ahead of a defender or whatever it is. And I think they're looking to change that rule. But I think that rule is a joke that they actually scaled that back. And it was okay once. And then they said, no, any part of your body's offside, you're offside. And I like you can't score with your fingers or your hands or whatever. So why should yeah. that be in? You know, so that would be um, yeah. I'd say that would v- be one rule. I'd say like sharpening VAR. I, I I know it's not one particular rule within VAR, but I just say, you know, it, it's so subjective. It, you know, once you have you have the letter of the law, but then there are moments where it's so subjective where the fourth of the the VAR official can you know, signal the, the referee to head to the monitor because they think it's a clear and obvious error. The, the referee goes to the monitor and goes, yeah, I see what you're saying, but no, still for me, uh, I'm sticking with my call. What? You know, that's, right, that's right, right, the, right. that, you know, so it's not clear, you know. It, it, this is the Jimmy Conrad put a player in the, uh, in the VAR booth yeah. so they can actually be like, hey, that guy was taking a touch at the corner of the penalty area running towards the corner flag and he got tripped by the goalie and now you just gave him I a goal. That yes, I think sense. that's total crap. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. That was going to be one of my rule changes. <laughs> I hate that rule. Listen, listen, I remember getting called. I, it was against the New England Revolution in Boston at Gillette. And I, uh, the guy was about to whip, whip a cross in at the end line. And I, when I slid to block the cross, I was inside the box and it hit my hands. And they called a penalty. But when I looked over my shoulder, there was no Revolution players in the box. So... What the fuck? That's not even going to score, dude. Like, well, that's not that. That shouldn't be a penalty. That should not be a penalty. Like, I think the situation be should be brought into like, okay, I'm the ref. I can see it's actually going to go to three Kansas City defenders before it would go to anybody close on the revolution. How does that opportunity now turn into a free shot from 12 yards out 
is a joke to me. That's all. Well, by the way, I, I did like the idea of what uh, I think is MLS Next Pro is doing. Uh, maybe it's MLS Next. I'm not really sure. But like the removal of players for time as you start to look at the time wasting. And I know Jimmy wants to get rid of headers. And it's the exact opposite of our producer, Des, who wants to say no more throw-ins, which is just going to increase the headers because every kick-in is a free <laughs> kick. Um, but, but I like the idea of like starting to eliminate some of the stoppages or, 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 or penalizing some of the things that can really kill a flow. I know that we all know the gamesmanship and we're all looking at the 88th minute to figure out a way to kill the game off when you're, when you're ahead. But certain things like that, where if it's a player goes down and they have to come onto the field, they have to be removed for certain. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And then you have a little bit of a power play advantage. Yeah. Charlie, anything to add to, to the rule changes? Seems like you're, your hamster wheel is, is moving in your brain right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, uh, you know, I, I love where we are with the sport and, and I don't want to see it get like micromanaged. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it was such a free flowing sport. I think we're at a good, good place right now. And I don't want to see con- like a, more stops and, and, you know, pre- prevent it from being what it was, what, what it's always been. It was just a free flowing creative game where, you know, I think one of the, one of the interesting things that I've heard as of late is controlling the clock and you know stopping the clock for injuries or throw-ins, uh, free kicks, similar to what we saw in college, at, you mm-hmm. know, back in the day. I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with that either. I mean, I feel like our system is pretty good. I think it'd be maybe there's a a way to see you know, every throw in, every substitution, every goal, like there's a, a clock that you can see collected. So you have a better sense of what the proper extra time should be given right. um, the situation. So if you see six minutes versus 10 minutes versus two minutes, you can say, how is that possible? Look at all the time that we've, we've added up um, collectively. So other than that, I, I feel like we're pretty good. Okay. All right. I like those thoughts. There's a question here from Emily Frake a longtime supporter of the show. She said, uh, this was more regard to the Brianna Scurry promo that we ran. Um, I would love to see us, me, you, and Heath, you give more love to the women's game on the podcast. And we love talking about the women, of course, but we also want to be respectful of our sister podcast on CBS called The Attacking Third, who do such a tremendous job covering it we don't want to take any of the, you know, because I had a chance to potentially get Kristen Press on the show. And I'm like, if we got Kristen on our show, wouldn't Attacking Third be upset that we got, they should get that guest. So we try to defer all that to to people that uh, we think are much more knowledgeable about uh, the women's game than us. And, and uh, but no, total, nothing but respect and, and uh, into that. And the Euros have been fantastic. I love all the TV ratings and the support and enthusiasm. And it just goes to show you that if the investment is there, uh, people do care, actually. And if you let them know what's happening and when, they will show up and they will support. And uh, so, yeah. And, of course, the CONCACAF stuff was great. I love that the U.S. women got revenge against Canada after we lost in the semifinals of the Olympics. I think that was cathartic for us. I'm still on the fence about whether I like Flatko Andonofsky as, as the coach. I feel like we're maybe not as aesthetically pleasing as we should be, given the talent that we have on the field, Emily. But, um, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna just probably leave it there because I like to listen to the attacking third to get my information as well. And, yeah, and, Jimmy just and, did and, a def- de- defer, deferred it to the and then did a did a women's soccer podcast for last six months. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 I was giving one of my Charlie answers. Give one of my Charlie answers. What they were, what, what, 
what, what they were talking about. I don't, do, I don't were... do that U turn 180, 360. <laughs> yeah, you do. That you just, you went, no, we don't, we would never do that. But I, I love what Lori Lindsay is doing. And <laughs> Brianna Scurry, if you haven't seen the podcast, uh, the episode, what she yeah. does yeah. is. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, no, but I, love I will say that this is cream cheese also at his, at his <laughs> increasing of the, the uh, bonuses for the World Cup for the women's side and all kinds of yeah, things coming yeah. in from the side for uh, the U.S. women's national team. Also, the, the fact that they're launching their own uh, store is pretty sick. I was talking to people that rep some of their licensing rights and their biggest goal is to have more licensing rights than anything ever before. And that's just a great opportunity for the women to monetize uh, the fact that they're the best in the game at what they do. Just a few other points that I think are really great momentums uh, heading into the future. Okay, let's now pivot into something, Charlie, with regard to these kind of random questions about how LAFC would do in the Premier League. How would the U.S. men's national team do in the Premier League? And they're so like crazy hypothetical. And with regard to LAFC, if the budgets could be the same, I guarantee LAFC would compete. If you're saying that that LAFC, this current roster of LAFC and how they would do in next season's Premier League, the budget restraints that they have to have in MLS competing against even teams like, I don't know, Brighton that are spending, you know, good, good amount of money or whatever, just threw them out there. I don't know how much they're spending, but it's definitely more than LAFC. Uh, these just feel like questions that are unanswerable in a lot of different ways. Charlie, you agree? Yeah, they are un- un- unanswerable. I mean, it, it's, it's two different leagues and you're, you're, you're you're not just going to Brighton because you want to live in Brighton. You're going to Brighton because you're playing in the English Premier League versus L.A., which is you got the glitz and the glamour. You're in the United States. You're part of a really cool, fast-growing league. And, you know, it's it's two completely different scenarios. I think if you took away the salary cap, you're going to have a lot more players who are on the fringes of Europe, whether it's, you know, they mm-hmm. they're they're not going to make their national team. If if I think if Gareth Southgate came out and said, you know what, Jesse Lingard, no matter what you do, you're not going to make this World Cup squad. He's not taking a one year deal to Nottingham Forest. We all know right, that, right, right, and he's going right. to be in MLS. You right. know, I, I think you would be able to get. It, it's a it's a very attractive proposition for European players who have been kind of ruled out of the national team side, and that's really the only reason you'd play for a, a, a subpar team in in the English Premier League or La Liga or Serie A because you're trying to give your shot yourself the best chance of making a World Cup roster if that is out then if Miami or LA or New York some of those bigger cities that you know you can do so many different things out in outside of the sport of soccer and your family would be really receptive to those moves then you're going to be able to attract anybody mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. i think the league though has grown to the point where Columbus Crew, Sporting Kansas City, you know, even Salt Lake, they can bring players in. They mm-hmm. big big name players. If if you give them a, an attractive salary that's competitive with LA FC and the Galaxy in New York, they're they're much more willing to come now to to those other locations that aren't the big destinations in the United States. So I think that's where the league has grown quite a bit, is because the league's so much fun now and it's growing and there's a lot of talent new soccer stadiums that uh, players from all over the world are, are really looking into MLS. No, and it helps when Minnesota United slap an Everton around 4-0. So we know Minnesota United, to Christopher Walken's point, wouldn't get relegated after that type of performance. Enter Miami after losing to Barcelona 6-0. Maybe, maybe we get relegated in, in that. All right, Heath, I got a, a question for you then. Um, 
This one is, if you could teleport yourselves, this is from Jorge Castillo on Twitter. If you could teleport yourselves mm -hmm. in your prime playing days onto today's U.S. Men's National <clears throat> Team roster, how do you think you would do? Because he says 22-year-old Charlie Davies makes this roster. And Charlie, 1,000% makes Makes this roster. I'm the I'm the, I'm starting. Are you out of your mind? Charlie is the roster. He is the roster. And you select Charlie, and then, and then you bring Charlie in, you start building the rest of the roster from there. Yeah, we're, yeah it's, we're, we're basically feeding grapes to Charlie is what we'd be doing. Yeah. I would say we're, we're all on, on this team. Not even That's not even a question. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. Heath, you don't even need to answer yeah. that one. Uh, good yeah, one from here. From, from Johnny Bornstein just that like absolutely. Let's see what's still involved. Johnny Bornstein with elbow true. to Heath's head. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, this uh, one's from Ben. New chance. <laughs> answer this one then, Heath. Uh, at which point did you feel like you had made it as you, you realized you were going to be a professional soccer player and it would provide a legitimate living for you? I mean, honestly, it was probably my first national team game. Um, Hamden Park you know, against Scotland, that was the first validator for me when I was playing at the club level, when I got to, to Norseland and Denmark, you know, first game was okay. Second game, I won man of the match. Third game, I got subbed at halftime. Uh, you know, it was that wild ride of, it's just like the game, you know that completely, but the national team had a completely different magnitude where, you know, I'm sitting in the back of the bus the first day and I'm uh, on the, on the way to Murray park where Rangers uh, had just built a new training facility. And, you know, I've got Demarcus Beasley next to me, we've got Claudio Reyna following us in his seven series BMW, which I had never seen before. And I was impressed with, uh, and I was just like wildly <laughs> impressed. I, I, I mean, I was, I was 20 years old and I was just over the top, <laughs> like in awe of everything happening around me. And so that was the first validator of like going, Oh, I went from being like, these guys are so far away to now me sitting next to them. Uh, and that was the first moment where I was like, okay, I can make some, I didn't feel valid. I didn't feel like I had made it. I knew that this was just the beginning, but it felt like, okay, this actually could be a real thing for me. Okay. Charlie, how about you? Somebody, somebody said in the chat, it's when you bought your first floral shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Julius, shout out to Julius. Uh, I've always been about the floral, floral shirts. Oh uh, I actually had, it, what, what, it brings up this great memory I had. My first trip to Vegas. So we go out with um, all the Olympic guys. So me, Sasha Klaschen, Benny Farber, Moa Du, you know, Dax Riccardi. Um, so it's a big group of us. I think it's like 14, 14 guys. And I, I thought, you know, I'm thinking I'm cool. I'm coming from Stockholm, got this style. I, I bring this like silver jacket and I'm, and I have silver matching shoes. And <laughs> of they're, call, they're, they're calling me a baked potato for the whole trip that I was, <laughs> I was just wrapped. Uh, and so, oh, that's so good. Um, no, I would say the, the moment where I was like, yeah, I, I, it was going to, to South Africa and the Confederations Cup. You know, that was the, the the time where you know you're you're playing and you're looking around and you're you know you got Clint and Landon and Timmy Howard and Bees and you know there's all the guys I had grown up looking up to and I'm playing with them against the guys that I, I watched on TV. So David Villa, Fernando Torres, you know Sergio Ramos, Casillas. You know you look at Brazil and it was Kaká and Danny Alves. So I think that tournament for me was, oh my God, um, not only have I dreamed about this moment, but now I'm a part of it. And, mm -hmm. and I know I, I have what it takes to be super successful at this level. So I think that was, um, that was a really special moment. 
No, that's a good story. I would say when I got named to the 2006 World Cup roster, it was just that validation for all the hard work and sacrifice and tears, all the stuff that nobody really sees. And it really validated that experience for me. So that felt like a personal, I made it. Like I did it. I did proved everybody cry? wrong. I got up there. I, uh, I, I did not cry, but I felt like I was walking on clouds. It was, I, I don't think I've ever matched that feeling in my whole life after getting named to the roster. It was such a, the satisfaction derived from that was was I can't even explain. I don't know if I can put it into words. The satisfaction that I got from that. so yeah, compare I that. that I when I didn't make the roster. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say compare that yeah, feeling ours, to, ours me, is, to 2009 when we won in Honduras and we qualified for the 2010 World Cup and you're a part of it and we're we got the champagne and everyone's going nuts and like how 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 does that compare those two moments? What so so. So I also was there when we qualified for 06, when we beat Mexico to, in Columbus. And, and what was interesting about that game was I knew that I'd be playing the next World Cup qualifier in Guatemala City. And I'm like, this is my opportunity because if I want to make this team, this is going to be my one chance in a World Cup qualifier. Maybe not a meaningful game for us uh, in, the, in the table, but it was for some players. I was next to Chad Marshall. You know, we're competing for who's going to be kind of that, those guys, you know, backing up Gooch and, and Eddie Pope and, and, and potentially Greg Berhalter. So there was all these, you know, there's a lot going into that. So you couldn't really settle in it and celebrate. 2009, I still felt like I wasn't one of Bob's guys. And, and so, yes, I obviously collectively was thrilled. Just being a part of that is so, so special and can be never taken away from you. But the elation was different. That, that felt more collective. Being named to the team felt was more of like an individual satisfaction that I got from that. I will say though, and and when I looked at this question initially, I was thinking about the little bits and pieces that I learned along the way. It wasn't like that big, huge peak of my career moment. It was more like I got to play against Nwanko Canoe, if you guys remember him. Uh, he he oh, yeah. played for Ajax in, in 95, 96, won the championship. Are you out of your mind? You act like no, so, dude, honestly, is a I get Absolute it, but there's some icon. people that don't know who I know, but he does, a lot of people don't know who Nwaka Kanu is, which is crazy. But when he was with Inter Milan, he left Ajax to go to Inter. He had a heart condition. And and the best doctors in the world were at UCLA, where we were. And he'd come out and train with us in his rehab. That dude, I had never seen a player. He just he just would glide. There would there were, the guy he wasn't running, even when he was full speed, it just so it just looks so effortless. Yeah. And I being around somebody of that quality. And, and I remember making a play once where I kind of got the best of him. And he said something and looked at me a little bit different. And that, at that moment, I thought, I think I can hang with this guy. Maybe not for 90 minutes or whatever, but, but I'm, not that I'm, I'm not him. But I can, I can be on the field and compete in some way against him. And that's kind of what I wanted to prove throughout my career was, as I got to each level, can I hang with everybody? It, it, there's no drop-off when I get on the field. And so that was really important to me. And that was like a seed of... Maybe I'm a little bit better than I thought I was. And this gets back to me. I was, as Heath would say, I'm not, I actually didn't get very good until I was 27 <laughs> or 28. But, uh, but, but there was, then I, I kind of want to ask you guys that because we're talking kind of peaks, but was it like this little seed that you learned along the way? Oh, Maybe you yeah. got to train with the revolution or you got to train well, uh, with the pro team. And you're like, actually, I can yeah. run with those guys. I can, I can play with those guys and I'm not too far behind. Well, you, you hit it the nail on the head in terms of with the revolution. So I was playing at Boston College. It was a spring season game. It was my, after my sophomore season. So I had taken a, a tackle from behind first game of the year against Alejandro Bedoya's Farley Dickinson team. So before he transferred <laughs> to BC and this, uh, we scored like five minutes in the game. I'm kind of like, 
you know, dance. And I know I, I felt that this was going to be my year, my last season in college soccer. And, I, and then I played professionally. Next play, I check for the ball. This guy just comes in and cleans me out. <laughs> I tear my meniscus. So I'm out oh, for the season. Dude. Five Holy months. I, I had um, had it sewn back together. Oh, and so I was, I was depressed. I, I, you know, I was, you hear about knee injuries and yeah, yeah I just thought I'm never going to be as quick or fast. And you know, there goes my dream. So here we are spring season. So about six months later, we're playing the revolution. And this is, a, this is the best revolution team that we we've probably seen. I mean, they had Shaw Ree, Clint, Taylor Twalman, Noonan, I mean, Parkhurst, Ralston, you, you, you just had the team, yeah. right? They had they always been in cup finals. Yeah. So we're playing against them. And, you know, Jay heaps was marking me the ball crossed and I do a bike and score against Matt Reese. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then <laughs> in the second half I got, you know, Parkhurst isolated one V one. I beat him and, and shoot from like a top of the box and we score. And we win the game like three one, and at that moment I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm good. I'm not in and I'm not. It's not like I'm ready for Europe. Like I'm still on that 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 path yeah. that that track. Right. So right. that was that moment for me. It's it's so key, yeah. I think, and I think it's important that our younger players do get opportunities to play against seasoned veterans because they can see what it looks like. That's why they need to watch games. I a lot of the young players I coach don't watch a lot. I'm like, you're you're you got to be a student of the game at all times. That's how you're going to improve on these little things, the fine margins. Heath, was there any of that though where you had that seed of belief that kind of kept you because you need that. You need those little seeds to keep yeah. you going, pointing in the right direction. I've got a weirdly similar story, not against a, a professional team, but I got into University of Portland. Nate Jaquil was there who was being highly touted at the time to come out and be a, a, a top professional. Kelly Gray had just left to enter the professional ranks. You know, you you had heard about Casey Keller and Steve Trundolo, all who went to Portland. I got a chance to play under Clive Charles, and I remember the first week there, um, for those who don't know, just literally Google Clive Charles, and you'll see that he's he's sort of being tributed as as one of the the OGs of soccer in the U.S., but got one got to play a season under him and i remember the first week just literally being like a guy named miguel guante who was a right back i had played mostly midfield or attacking my whole life i'd just become a left back coming into to college and feeling like man i'm way behind the game was just spinning around me and i couldn't figure it out the first week ended up straining my hip flexor a week out coming back and then get into my first game didn't start in my first college game come in uh, coming back from injury and i just light this guy up on the sideline I, you know, kind of go inside to outside, I hit a banger to the back post. And then all of a sudden it was just, everything changed for me. Right. I went from this, I was in residency, but never really myself to being like, okay, you know, John Ellinger and Clive Charles saying, Hey, if you want to make it, you need to become a, a left fullback to then being like, okay, I think I can do something here. And then it going from the, literally the first week where I was looking at Nate Jaqua and people around me going, I could never be as good as these guys. And this is college, right? I was like, I can't, right, the, right. the game's too fast. They're thinking too fast. They're just too uh, like a step ahead. I was coming off of a broken leg as well, by the way, um, uh, going into college. So it was just a thing for me where I was just like, I can't, this is too much. And then within like a week or two, I was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, it just switched. And then I never looked back. And that was the thing that I look back at as like a turning, turning moment for me. And it was so subtle and such a small thing between being an average college player and then deciding like, I'm going to run with this and become a professional soccer player. Yeah, that's awesome. These are all great stories. And, and I can't emphasize enough for all of our young listeners, or if you're coaching out there and you're listening, or if you have kids yourself, making sure that they get exposed to the game so they can see it, they can watch it, they can taste it. And then they have an opportunity to play against some seasoned veterans. It does make a difference. And, and I will add too that when I had the chance to, when I was 15, 16, I would start playing with, with 
in the in the weekend leagues, Sunday leagues, right? And and you toughen up in those areas too. That okay, maybe they're not as athletically gifted, but some of them can absolutely ball out, and they know how to move and the timing of their runs, and there's still a lot to gain there. So so we could probably do a whole. We probably should do a whole episode on development moving forward. Um, all right, we got one more question, and I know we had a ton more. We're going to get to those. We're going to have to have a bonus content at some point to answer all these mailbag questions. We appreciate all your support as always. This one is from, well, his handle on Twitter is straight out of HP, and Heath's initials are HP. So it makes me think this is HP, Heath Pierce's burner account. But <laughs> he says, uh, who gave Heath the nickname Hollywood? And, and also ditto for Charlie, who gave him the Chuck Wagon? nickname heath go first who 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 gave you the hollywood nickname i don't know was it you jimmy i, I feel like it was you was, jimmy i think yeah, it was me was. yeah I, so i didn't yeah. know for sure but i was like no, it, I was, wanted to, it was yeah, you yeah. it, okay, it yeah. was definitely you and yeah. and chuck wagon is you as well <laughs> yes but but you, we call you chuck <laughs> I, d i chuck gave you cream g's i gave you that's cream true yeah, chuck d chuck d uh chuck we called you chuck d but yeah and we, and we, and and for those that don't know, me and and Charlie have a like inside joke about Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Uh, One of the greatest movies of all time. Roger Predactor. You know what? I actually will say, when nature calls, I actually might like that a little bit. Oh, There's so many no. funny scenes. I, I mean, I, 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 it's one of the sequels that I thought was really strong. And it was and, a strong uh, sequel. It's a strong sequel, and I wish he would have done a third, but he didn't. So those I'll tell be, you right now. Could you my, imagine my my, my mom is my mom about Ace Ventura. <laughs> my, my mom and my brother and my dad they they love the show they watch every time and we will we used to watch that movie like religiously to the point <laughs> where i i know like every every sentence every word and um the roger Predactor thing that's why it was my my code <laughs> my code name for uh you know the when we had to give fake names in mexico city like i was roger Predactor. Like, he, <laughs> 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 that's so good it's so good for those that know ace ventura you're gonna have a good laugh and good chuckle about that all right we're gonna call it a show charlie's got to catch a flight uh heath pierce has to wipe he's clearly still on his toilet i think he's gonna hemorrhoid from sitting on there for so long so on behalf of of producer (laughs) ted and producer alex and charlie chuck wagon davies and hollywood heath pierce i'm jimmy crim cheese conrad saying thank you for listening and watching it's stuck we trust and we will see you next week later